Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All content provided or opinions expressed in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please seek advice from a qualified healthcare practitioner. This is part two of the podcast interview with Dr. Esther Konigsberg. For those of you who aren't sure what integrative medicine is, it's the practice of medicine that integrates Western and alternative forms of medicine. It recognizes individuality and personal treatment plans because people don't all respond in the same way to drugs or diets, for example. While treatments are rooted in scientific discovery and evidence-based findings, integrative medicine focuses on optimal wellness, not just absence of disease, and treats patients through physical, emotional, mental, environmental, and spiritual means. Esther Garfin here, and I'm the founder of Alternative Food Network, and the podcasts that we produce are all about food and health. If you're interested in listening to more podcasts about food and health, you can find all of AFN's other podcasts on its website at alternativefoodnetwork.com. Today I'm joined by Dr. Esther Konigsberg. Dr. Konigsberg is an integrative medicine consultant, a member of the Canadian College of Family Physicians, and a graduate from the Fellowship Program in Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona. Dr. Konigsberg is an assistant clinical professor at the University of Arizona in the Integrative Medicine Program and at McMaster Medical School. She sits on integrative medicine committees in both the U.S. and Canada, and has written numerous articles related to optimizing health, including body, mind, and spirit. Since AFN is all about food and health, I'd like to understand a little bit more about what role food and nutrition plays in integrative medicine. A rather large role. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I explain, you know, I explain to patients who come to see me that Basically, lifestyle forms the foundation of good health. And um, when we talk about lifestyle, of course, we talk about sleep and stress and exercise. And nutrition is a big piece of it. So one is eating healthfully, mm-hmm. um, which generally is, you know, um, maximizing whole foods and fruits and vegetables and healthy sources of proteins and obviously avoiding processed foods, et cetera. So that's, you know, just a part of it of, of just, you know, general good health. Mm-hmm. But then you could use food as medicine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be, you know, people who are having different sorts of issues like pain and inflammation and gut issues, you know, digestive problems. And even mental health problems that often by manipulating the diet, you can make some really, really big changes. It's interesting you mentioned inflammation because one of AFN's highest performing podcasts to date is about the inflammation food connection. So in the context of integrative medicine, what, what do you have to say about this connection? Well, 
In terms of the discussion around inflammation with the medical doctor, you're usually not talking about inflammation in general. You're talking about a problem, like somebody has rheumatoid arthritis and they have inflamed joints. Or um, now we're thinking that inflammation does have a role in diabetes and heart disease, so we may look at particular markers for inflammation. And what do we, as physicians, do? They prescribe drugs which help to lower inflammation. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know that many physicians would prescribe changing their uh, patient's diet, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of, you know, again, one of my mentors, Andrew Wilde, came up with something called the anti-inflammatory diet, which really talks more about fats. So, for instance, omega-3 fatty acids, which we find in cold water fish and certain legumes and nuts, um, helps to lower inflammation in the body through a particular uh, pathway versus um, saturated fats and, you know, those trans fats and processed foods and certain kinds of oils uh, like safflower oil, sunflower oil, um, and, you know, just vegetable oils actually increase inflammation through a particular uh, cascade. So, um, and then certain herbs, you know, such as turmeric, which has become very popular recently, mm-hmm. and ginger, we know help to lower inflammation. So that's just a very general approach yeah. um, to an anti-inflammatory diet. Then, you know, we all have genetic differences, different sensitivities. So, for instance, the other thing that's become very popular these days is a gluten-free diet. Mm-hmm. And... I would say that in the subset of my patients who are in pain, um, you try eliminating gluten, and in a few weeks, sometimes the pain is drastically reduced. But I would caution that that doesn't happen in everybody. Right. You know, Um, and one of the things that I will sometimes do for patients who are experiencing, again, a lot of digestive issues and pain issues is um, a food sensitivity test that is done for by a lot of labs in Ontario called an IgG uh, food tolerance test. And I have gotten a lot of success with that with many patients. And, you know, I always have to caution, things are very personal. Sometimes it works for somebody and not for somebody else. You're starting to learn a lot more about genes and understanding that, and there's also the idea of epigenetics where we can turn on and off our genes. But um, sometimes it takes a little bit of manipulating a diet that can make an absolute huge impact on a person's inflammatory response and quality of life. So just so I'm clear, does the average medical school teach diet and nutrition courses to their medical students? I can't answer that for the average medical school. Um, If I ask colleagues, I think the simple answer is no. Uh, Probably there is a range going on in different medical schools um, to how much nutrition may or may not be taught, but there's no real... I, I, I would hazard a guess to say that most medical schools do not 
go into nutrition in any sort of depth. Um, and that it tends to come up more with biochemistry, um, maybe talking about micronutrients. Let's say, for instance, in osteoporosis, and you talk about calcium, et cetera, and how calcium is absorbed, or but not macronutrients, which means talking about food in particular. Hmm. Um, I can talk specifically about McMaster since I'm on faculty at McMaster and I have access to their to their curriculum. Mm-hmm. And um, curriculums are constantly changing, as you can well imagine. Um, there are all sorts of discoveries going on at all times, so the curriculum has to be responsive and forward-moving. About four years ago, I did a full review of the medical school curriculum. The dean asked me to do that with the lens of integrative medicine. And I could tell you at that time, there was a definite section on nutrition. Um, I would say there was about three or four different lectures and a few case studies. So I was very happy to see that. I don't remember learning that when I was a medical student. And then I very recently revisited the curriculum um, because I hadn't been quite as involved in the last couple of years. And I can tell you it's disappeared. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's one lecture on food now. Um, I can't remember the name of the lecture. I believe it has to do with, you know, uh, prevention of disease. So I believe there's one lecture in the full medical school curriculum. And many of the, case, all of the case studies that really hearken to nutrition have disappeared. Wow. Well, as a lay person, I mean, I, I'm not a doctor. I, the whole concept of food as medicine is not new. So how is it that it's it's not being taught at all in medical school? I mean... Well, first of all, medical school curriculums are very, very dense. Yeah. They're, like, it's really hard to get different subjects into it. Things are usually being dropped rather than added. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, very difficult to add more to an over-dense curriculum. The other thing what I notice now is with the whole advent of, you know, we built the genetic code, we're starting to map out genes, we're understanding how the genes are now um, interfacing or, 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 or creating different biochemical pathways in different individuals. What I saw that the nutrition was being replaced with all had to do with genes. Um, so I think they make their choices based on, um, on where they're feeling that doctors need to be educated. So um, a lot of it is on, it goes towards pharmacology. Um, I was actually four years ago when I reviewed the curriculum I was disappointed with how much um, the end result ended up in a particular drug being prescribed. Lifestyle was hardly addressed whatsoever. Hmm. Um, so I'd say that there's been so much going on in medicine, and a lot of it is very exciting. Yeah. 
um, that the softer stuff, if you will, is is getting dropped and ignored. Mm-hmm. So if someone happens to be listening from a medical school, uh, do you have any recommendations of how they might be able to add some sort of coursework into an already overloaded program? It always takes a champion. So somebody who's very integrated into the faculty to be to uh, be very integrated into the curriculum committees to forward something like that. So take somebody who is well respected, who's integrated in the schools to to help to make changes. The other thought I have is, you know, you don't have to learn everything at medical school. So I would really wish that those might have been prerequisites for getting into medical school. That this could be taught in the undergraduate curriculums and be part of, you know, what's necessary in order to get you in. I mean, you need to have organic chemistry and a certain amount of biology and a certain amount of physics. Why not a a course on nutrition? Oh, interesting, yeah. So that could be another way that that could be done so that when people did enter into medical school, they already had a basis, so that which could then be, you know, tweaked to a, to a certain degree uh, in medical school. Um, they could have fair days where, you know, they learn from dietitians or, you know, the whole idea around interprofessional teamwork is they're learning doctors can't do it all and doctors are more expensive, so you want to work well and in concert with other professions. So, you know, learning about what dietitians do and perhaps even if the doctor isn't um, an expert in that area, to be able to know who you're, who you can refer to and, and under what circumstances would you start thinking. And what about for uh, any physicians who might be listening to this podcast? They finished medical school a long time ago. Um, if yeah. they wanted to learn um, more about food and nutrition, are there any resources that you would recommend to them or even any coursework that perhaps sure. they could take? The, uni- the University of Arizona used to run um, a nutrition and health conference yearly. The other thing is also went on the University of Arizona's website, and um, they have online courses. They have one, for instance, on the anti-inflammatory diet, and you could get continuing medical education. They also have, like, for instance, nutrition in cancer and nutrition in heart disease. So, um, and these courses aren't very costly, and they're only a few hours. So. Those are some other ways that they can learn about it. I, I also have to say there's a lot of misinformation about nutrition these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really also need to be wary of where you get your information from. Right. And, um, and so I guess that's why I go to the University of Arizona. I really feel so comfortable with their approach to integrative medicine and to nutrition that, you know, they do their homework, they do their research, and everything is steeped in evidence. Well, this is all very informative and helpful. Um, do you have any final words for our audience? If, if they've been listening and perhaps having some health issues, maybe not 
feeling as good as they'd like to feel. And they, they want to learn more about food as medicine or integrative medicine. Well, I would say that there's a lot of resources out there. Um, and to really make sure that, for instance, that they were going to access any sorts of practitioners, be it naturopathic doctors who also do a lot with nutrition, be it dietitians, um, nutritionists, etc., that you know that you can make changes to really benefit your health. I mean, if you, but also to be very careful because not it's not one sort of diet will work for everybody. So to me, it's always about self-referral. Um, you can try different things, but you really need to be aware of how does it feel in my body at this time. Um, many of us don't pay attention to the signals in our bodies. Um, we're sitting there eating and looking at our smartphones or um, we're eating purely for pleasure or for convenience. And not paying attention to the signals and the signals are there. You know, the, just how do I feel bloated after I eat? Do I feel comfortable? Do I feel nourished or do I feel, you know, weighed down and do I lose energy from what I've just eaten? So one thing is the body is really wondrous and gives us direct feedback if we're willing to listen to it. Um, so even if you see a practitioner and they're making certain choice suggestions that don't seem right to you or doesn't feel good in your body, listen to the wisdom of your body. Do not override it by the latest fad diet. You know, so again, as I was saying, gluten-free may work for you. It may not work for you. Mm -hmm. Dairy-free may work for you. It may not work for you. You have to really pay attention and also, again, there's a lot of misinformation in the media. Um, I'll give you one example is soy. Mm -hmm. Soy has been demonized in the media, um, mainly because everybody equates soy to estrogen, and then they draw some sort of a link to breast cancer. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and it, they've done women and men, a great disservice. Soy is a, a really sprayed crop. There's a lot of pesticides, maybe genetically modified, um, but you can get organic sources of soy. So it's a complete protein, so it's very hard to find that in meats or in vegetables. It is a fully complete protein. It gives us a lot of nutrition, mm -hmm. and um, it does have what we call phytoestrogens, which are plant-based estrogens, which are actually weak estrogens. So, indeed, it does bind to our receptor sites, but it blocks more harmful estrogens from binding. And there are many harmful estrogens in our environment, in plastics, in pesticides. So, in actual fact, for many people, soy is wonderful. And if if we get our prepubescent uh, daughters onto soy, it actually decreases their lifetime risk of breast cancer. Oh, wow. um, in, and the same with men. It weakly binds to um, prostate 
glands and offputs the more harmful estrogens from binding onto the uh, prostate. So it's very protective for men as well as also um, for women who eat soy regularly, it decreases their risk of heart disease by 50%. And heart disease is still the biggest killer of women. So, but I cannot begin to tell you how many patients walk into my office and say, soy is bad for me. Mm -hmm. It's got estrogen. It's going to kill me. Now, here's the thing. Some people are sensitive to soy. Yeah, some some have allergies. Right. Some people it doesn't work for. That's where self-referral comes into it. Yeah. So, so we have to be very wary of bold, sweeping statements when it comes to nutrition. Um, eating well, that's, a, that's why we do these podcasts to, right. you know, we speak about a topic and we try to delve into it and we speak with doctors and, and scientists and, and for this exact reason is to help educate people. This is not where you're going to start and finish your research, but it's a start and then you hopefully could move on to perhaps consult another physician or, or, or whatever it is in your process of decision making. But this is why we right. do these well, then that's a wonderful service that you're providing. Thank you. And thank you for doing that. <laughs> um, so if someone would like to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to find you? Um, they can go through my website. And my website is integrativemedicineinc.com. It's I-N-T-E-G-R-A-T. I V E medicine I N C dot com. And it's been wonderful having you. Thank you. Thank you. To all of you listening, I hope you found this podcast informative. Please be sure to subscribe to AFN's newsletter on our website at alternativefoodnetwork.com, and we'll keep you informed about the latest content being published by AFN. Until next time, thanks for listening. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.